Welcome to the Bad Boss Brief, a strategic guide on how to not be an asshole at work. We'll tell you about bad bosses, how they can be handled, how to tell if you happen to be one. An executive and an executive coach, both artists working in advertising and marketing for more than two decades, are here to advise you on the ins and outs of office environments. The Bad Boss Brief is your ultimate guide to navigating any employment landscape. Here are your hosts, Eugene S. Robinson and Stephanie Payrollo. Welcome to the Bad Boss Brief. I am Stephanie Payrollo. I'm Eugene S. Robinson. Hey there. I'm trying, to, I'm trying to bring some flair to it. You know? Yeah, he's waving his hands for those of you listening. Um, yes. Episode 13 is going to be about the needy boss. Have you had needy bosses? Oh, oh, can, are you guys, what do you guys do? What are you guys doing? What do you, you know, my favorite needy boss story happened to do with a band that's retiring, Steven Tyler of Aerosmith. And, you know, when he cleaned up, right, when he wasn't, when he wasn't clean, when he was having problems with drugs and alcohol, he had lots of stuff to do. But when he cleaned up, not only did he not have anything to do, but he had nobody to do it with. So he just started hanging around the crew guys. And the crew guys told me this. They go, it's kind of tough because he's not drinking or taking drugs, which means we can't drink or take drugs. And he's glomming on to us. We don't know what to do. So that was my perfect rock star, uh, needy boss story. They couldn't figure out how to shake. They said it was kind of sad. It was just Steven Tyler hanging around like, what do you guys, what do you guys want to do? Well, but I think regardless of whether he's, you know, clean and sober or not, having the boss at a social event is kind of like having your dad at a party when you're, you know, 16 or 17. Like, it's just, it's not a good dynamic, your dad or your oh. mom. Also, let me tell you, it's it's not even necessarily needy. I remember at one point when I was editor-in-chief of Code Magazine, you know, I heard some of the people on my staff talking about what they were going to do this Friday, what they were going to do Friday, and I was staying over in L.A. I was, and they're talking about going, I go, oh, where are you guys going? And then there was this, like, weird chill across the room, and I go, oh, I get it. <laughs> I get it. Nobody wants to hang out with the boy. You know what? Forget it. Forget, I don't need you guys. And I made a, I made a, I made a joke about it and went along. But you know, they wanted to be able to relax, and they didn't feel like they could do that with me there. Exactly. And it took me a second to understand that. Well, and I think too. I mean, that is a type of needy boss—a boss that is emotionally needy that wants to spend time with people. Your Steven Tyler example. The kind of needy boss, a needy boss story that I was thinking about—that's happened to me a couple of times—is what I call the emotional security blanket. So the setup for this is where, you know, in my case, it was me, but this also happened to a good friend of mine. You have a particular set of competencies that is unusual, right? Mm-hmm. For my friend, she was incredibly technological savvy. And I had some skills doing new business and negotiations. They're kind of oddball skills. A lot of people don't have them. And so I've had more than one boss kind of look at me as the emotional security blanket. Like if, which makes sense at first, it's like, oh, okay, we have to negotiate something. Let's bring Stephanie. Then it was, we might have to negotiate something. Let's bring Stephanie. (laughs) Then it was, let's bring Stephanie. And I'd be like, this has (laughs) nothing to do with my job at all. But this sense of like, but I'm going to do better if you're in the room. Oh, this is like baseball players where like, if the guy scores a home run and he's wearing a certain set of underwear, that's it. He will never wear any other underwear. So that's you you have become the, the talisman. Well, and the thing is, it's like I think that's an appropriate example because in the circumstances where this happened, neither one of those bosses actually treated me well. 
I really was just like the rabbit's foot. It wasn't like, I value your skill set. I want you around. I want you part of the inner circle. That would have been okay. It was really like, I'm, I'm the lucky charm and I want you to come. And I remember one time, one of these bosses who I didn't like got, we were, I was working for an advertising agency and we got something that just smelled scam as soon as I heard about it. It was, we are, uh, a, it was a large brand that was well-known, which I won't name. Uh, we're having events for potential agencies in Milan. We need you to be here on Thursday. This was on Monday. And we're going to see you at, you know, like four o'clock in the afternoon. And I said to the button bosses, like, you have to go because, you know, we might have to negotiate. And I'm like, okay, first of all, there's no universe in which this is a legitimate thing. They're not paying to fly us over there. We're only staying for like one day. And, you know, there's no agreement. We don't know these people. This just came in on an email. I'm like, this just smells like scam. And he got so angry with me that I wouldn't, because I just flat out refused. I'm like, I'm, and he wanted, he's like, well, well, we'll save money by not staying in Milan. We'll fly in, do the meeting, and then turn around and fly back. And I'm, sure. I'm like, no, no. And so I said, no. And he got so angry. And I had a guy that worked for me who was more than happy to go to Milan for you right. know lunch. But, uh-huh. you know, and I think that's the thing. It's like, these were not leaders that were treating me with some sort of respect. It was just, you have to go wherever it is that I want to go. Okay, but you got to get to the punchline. Did they close the deal? Of course not. There was no deal. They flew to Milan. I think the people blew them off or it was some like, it was just all very weird and not, yeah, it was, and it, you know, on the face of it. But I think that's the thing is that, you know, if, if I had been a secret weapon, that would have been okay with me, right? That would have been all right. But this idea of like, I, you have to be in the room with me. Otherwise I feel insecure. Even if you have no role in the room, not particularly helpful. Yeah, yeah. So then how long did you last at this company? I think I was only there probably another four or five months. I mean, it was that was sort of the beginning of the end of yeah. recognizing that, like, yeah, there's not really I'm I'm nothing more than a rabbit's foot. You know, it it was weird. I mean, it's on my mind, especially since I just wrote about my boss before last, Carlos Watson at Ozzy, since he's now done. Uh, he's tried to ride the wave of racial equity. And he's done a website called Too, Too Black for Business, and he believes that's his way to, to get out of his legal conundrums, which include being arrested by the Justice Department. But in any case, he, at one point, it, his father and his mother were very much part of the early launch, and they had, had kept, come to view me as a second son to a certain degree. And at one point, the father said to me, you know, sort of voce, took me aside and said, you know, I told Carlos, as long as Eugene is there, Everything is okay. And I was like, I, I kind of, it, it stuck with me forever. Up until now, I've never remembered, never repeated it. I never heard him say it again to anybody else, but there was this idea of, of me as talisman and same thing. I was with a boss who treated me really poorly, but I could see that this was part of, of some sort of calculation that that me being there was not only assigned to, to the staff, yeah, you know, who might have thought, well, if Eugene could take it, we could take it. Um, and as well as, I, you know, I think it create, helped create the illusion that we were some sort of equitable work. But I don't know. I don't know. I wasn't sure the reason, but I wasn't happy with the role. Well, and I think, I mean, having been there and been in that newsroom and seen you there, it could have been that you were the adult in the room and you were also the journalist in the room. I mean, I'm not talking That's about right. other people that you work with. There were other good journalists. Yeah. But as far as like Carlos and Samir. Yeah. They, 
you know, like that yeah, they didn't right. have the journalism chops. And and you know what? I actually think that's interesting because I really liked your Substack this week, and mm-hmm. I I was hoping we'd get to this because I do, and I, and I do think that Carlos was a particular kind of needy, mm-hmm. right? And yep. and a particular kind of needing to be in charge, needing to be. Um, have things go a certain way and never brooking any sort of negotiation. Like that's, what's interesting. Like you think of needy, right. And you think of somebody who maybe is weaker, who, you know, isn't living into their strength, but a lot of times needy people are just, they're still tyrants. Right. Yeah. I, I, I mean, this is what I said. You asked me if I had stories that go on on here. I, I have uncomfortable stories. And I remember my boss was from Condé Nast and I'm not going to identify the publication. It's not important because, you know, it, it would be easy to figure out who this person was. And they said, Eugene, could you come into my office uh, for a few minutes? Sure. Big corner office, close the door. Um, it was an interesting company. The, all the, the, the executive staffers had offices that had solid steel core doors because the owner was paranoid about disgruntled employees coming back and shooting them. So this was actually, I, wow. almost, I realized this when I almost caught my finger in the door and go, the hell what kind of door is this in any case she calls me into her office and says i've been out for a few days and i was like yeah and i thought the next thing that was going to happen was i was going to be told about something that we need to pick up something that had been dropped the ball you know something we had to cover or some you're going to look vault ahead and she goes do you know where i was and now i'm starting to get my spider senses tingling like i shouldn't be there and i go i don't know i don't like i don't like guessing games and she said, I, I, I had a boob job. I'm like, okay, that's great. Uh-uh, gotta go, gotta go. And she goes, here, feel. And she pulls her shirt up, grabs my hand, and puts it on her breast. Oh I'm my like, God. you know, and you might expect that, like, you know, I'm a, how old was I? I was in my 30s, and that I might go, oh, I'm diggity dog, but I was horrified. I just kind of stood there with my hand in the gun. Yeah, okay, that's great. I can't get back to my desk. Um, and that was, I mean, neediness takes all all kinds of stress. I didn't see any percentage in that play. I just didn't see any that working out for me in any way at all. So. Oh, my God. Well, and again, you know, and that's the thing with the needy boss that keeps coming up is this idea of a boundary-free zone. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I mean, and I have yeah. certainly, I have had, I had one boss who just, you know, he, he pretended like, he acted like I was his therapist. Right. Yeah. And it was just like, you know, no. And he would come and tell me about his relationship problems and he would talk about like, you know, why he was interested in this particular person or not this particular person. And it was just like, you know, when you have to say to your boss, like, well, you know, like I, it's like, I don't I don't want to know that you're dating one woman and is sleeping with another one. Like I, this is not information that is yeah. any way germane to our work. But it was yeah. again, it was that sense of. You know, I like uh, presumably he needed a friend, he needed a confidant, he needed a woman who he had no chance of having sex with. (laughs) So, you know, I was in some sort of, you know, odd land. But I think I think that's the challenge is when you end up with these bosses who don't observe obvious norms. Right. And so what do you what do you do with them? And and I think that the uh, one of the ideas is. If you are a boss and you recognize any of this in yourself, like, you know, I think there's a couple of things. Like one, if you feel slightly uncomfortable that as a leader, you might be looking to the people that work for you for 
social connection, emotional connection, advice, friendship, socializing. You know, if you feel uncomfortable about it, you should probably explore that, not with people that work for you. If you are a boss and you wonder if you have this kind of work security blanket person that I was describing, I think the thing to look at is, you know, there's nothing wrong with having someone that you rely on because they have a skill set that you don't have, or Mm -hmm. they're particularly adept in something that is very useful to your work. Don't treat them like a lucky charm. Treat them like a valued employee, right? Make sure that they're paid really well. Make sure that they're involved, not just in come and sit next to me at the meeting, but also help me develop our plan for the next five years. Let's get in front of, you know, like, let me bring you in front of senior leadership or executive leadership or ownership, right? So treat that person with value as an individual who has skills and don't just put them into the, you know, kind of like lucky charm category. And then I think, so, it's, so, yeah, go ahead. No, so that I, I was going to, uh, my, my question is, and it's sort of a philosophical one, is that can this needy person be a good boss? I mean, I think that they can, and I think it depends on the ways in which their neediness is expressing itself. Mm-hmm. Right. So if and I think anyone that has a level of self-awareness um, and that can can see what needs to be changed in them and then change it can be a good boss. Right. I think anybody can. I think that for pe- a lot of the kind of neediness that we're talking about, the garden variety neediness, people just need to le- leaders just need to like be very strict with themselves. Like I am going to form more connections outside of work. You can see why if people are working all the time, you can see why they don't have friends outside of work. That is not your employee's responsibility, right? You need to make sure that you are, you know, spend time with family, reconnect with old friends, start a, you know, do join a bowling league, right? But that is your responsibility. So I think people can get past it, but I think it's like anything else, you know, that generally the people who have the self-awareness to understand that they have a problem and seek help for it are not the ones we're talking about. Right. That I I think the ones that are challenging are where it's like, no, we're all like a big family. They, they are my friends. They love getting together with me and doing something. Yeah. Also, yeah. And, and I mean, what we're doing here is a yeoman's work here, because I think being aware of it is, is a big deal. I had a boss who used me as as his avenue to virility. Right. They're like there's no other circumstance under which this guy, the two of us are, are fellow travelers in any regard, except for now I work for him. And so um, his constant and continual attempts to bro down with me were actually better than what everybody else got, which was constant and continual rage. I've spoken spoken about him before, where he was forced into into counseling by the board, and then he would get up and like look out windows and stuff, even though people still knew he was steamed. But with me, he was always unfailingly nice to me. I never saw that side of him, but I realized I was being used in another way. He was talking about the the woman he divorced, the woman he got with after the divorce, the changes that she put him through. And fundamentally, my role at that at that job was like black sidekick. (laughs) All right. Like anytime you want to show a shorthand of a white character in a movie that he's hip, you give him a black friend. And I was I was that friend. And honest to God, I have to say in this instance, I didn't mind one because he was a good boss, which is what prompted my previous question. And then two, um, uh, well, I guess he was a good boss and he didn't scream at me. So I, I, I clearly saw I could be treated like those folks over there, which wasn't great. Or I could be where I am right now, which is like, she said, what? Whoa. 
bro. <laughs> I mean, this, and we were, I mean, I think he was five years older than me. So it wasn't like we were, but it was how he perceived me. So um, I, I sort of felt bad when I could see what he was doing to other people. But I was like, yeah, you know, every person for themselves. <laughs> I, I mean, I don't know how I rationalized it, but it wasn't a healthy work environment, though it was healthy for me. Well, and I think that comes to the the question too of what if you are the person who works for a needy boss, right? And I think that there are I think that that you talk about one path. I think there's two paths, right? One path is just go with it, right? I mean, there can be advantages to it. In your case, you were being you know you were treated better than the people who weren't in that situation. You know, for me, I certainly used my competence and the boss's sense of wanting me nearby to negotiate for more money, negotiate for better opportunities. Um, you know, it, it can be okay. I do think that it is useful because part of the problem is if you're the lucky, you know, rabbit's foot and then they start losing, then you lose all that, you know, kind of captured glory. And so what I would try to do as an employee was to say, you know, this is a team effort. You know, yes. yes, we won this new business right. pitch, but it was the team that won. It was the team right. that won. And, you know, to keep reiterate that because one, it's true, right? Your mm -hmm. team is not going to thank you for taking all the glory on yourself. Um, mm -hmm. But it also can maybe insulate you a little bit if things don't go well, because then they look at you, you know, it's like, you're not magic anymore. Let's, you know, let's throw that out. Right. Yeah. And so I think that's, I think that's one thing. I think another thing to watch out for is I've had that where I have done really hard work on a new business pitch, one in particular, and there's been, you know, a white guy who swooped in and took all the credit and all the money. Uh, right. And so that's another thing is, you know, if you are in that kind of, you know, magical place, okay, great, but make sure to give credit where credit is due. In my case, I really, it was small agency. I really was the one with that one particular individual skill set. Um, but I think, but I think it really boils down, if you work for a needy boss, be really careful about boundaries, mm -hmm. right? Because the other road, which I think I have done and sometimes is really necessary, is to, to set a boundary and to say, no, I'm not going to fill in the blank, whatever it is. You know, I'm not going to go and do a personal thing outside of work. I'm not going to pick up your dry cleaning. I'm not going to do whatever it is that you're asking me to do. But again, there's certain risks and sometimes we can't always do that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I, I've never been asked to do <laughs> to do anything like you know, any any menial work for for any boss. Uh, but you know, at the same time, I was um, I, this this might amuse you. I um, had a Zoom meeting at a at a company, and they started at some point. They I guess they thought it would be team building to sing to the to the tune of "I Love Rock and Roll." I love filling the name of the company. And um, I took the call. I just finished training jujitsu. So I took the call from uh, from the academy where I trained jujitsu. Um, and, you know, people in the meeting can see my face on the screen. Everybody in the room just sees my face. And I'm nodding my head and I'm singing, smiling. I love filling the name of the company. And, that, and then I'm watching this room of faces grow grimmer and grimmer. Not the ones in the Zoom meeting, the ones behind the camera. And I get off the call and they go, that was the most disgusting. Out of all the disgusting things you've done, that is the most disgusting. And I go, what would you suggest I have done? And they said, turn your camera off or get out of the meeting. I go, ah, then I'm not a team player. Well, okay, then sit and then bob your head along. And then what's the difference? I might as well sing if I'm going to bob my head along. Okay, then just sit and watch and do nothing. Then I'm not a team player. 
Hey, look, if they said, I'm going to give you this much money to sing, I love filling the name of the company, would you take it? And they're like, no, I wouldn't. I go, ah, you're wrong about that. There's a certain amount of playing along that makes sense with a needy boss. I think it's a slippery slope. Playing along makes, makes a bit of sense, but you got to know it's not going to stop there. But once it starts, you should also know, like any other film noir piece, at the end, everybody's doomed because this slope is going to lead to weird places. And unless a person gets a correction from somewhere else, you're you're all in trouble. So. Well, and do you think it's gendered? Because I've always had this idea that, you know, I, I mean, I've seen in the workplace that white men look to women to take care of their emotional needs. And it's automatic. It's just reflexive. Like, I feel bad, make me feel better. I mean, these, it's no accident these were all white men that did this. I've never had a woman do this to me. I've never had a black man do this to me. And so I think I've always thought that it's part of that emotional overfunctioning that these guys get used to people making them feel better. And so why shouldn't I be the security blanket? But do you think it's gendered? Yeah, I, I listen, I in one of the major corporations that I worked in the early days of you know, email, um, I had a boss who gave me a, an employee award uh, at the like in the middle of June, and then uh, fired me by the time July had come because I wasn't receptive to her advances. Mm -hmm. um, and of course, this was all saved in email. So when I challenged it and pushed across to the company's attorneys these emails that I had printed out, they realized the exposure and they just gave me a healthy severance package. But what do you want? I go my job. You know, that's not going to happen. You know, we're not going to, we got to circle the wagons. How much money do you want? So I give me a year's salary and they did it and then fired, fired her. Um, but this started uh, with me just being my normal empathetic self. She's talking about her husband and about, you know, he's having problems with his business. I'm listening. I'm, Cause it's, I mean, it was cute. He's, he owned bunches of laundromats, which I used to think was a jive business, but he was making tons of money, but he was always away. I, I mean, as an older man now, I can understand that I was in trouble as soon as she started talking about the husband, I was in trouble, right. but you know, that he, he's away a lot and I'm just listening, but it was, you know, we have these environments where we're supposed to be professional, but all of a sudden emotionally things are happening that are outside the purview of professionalism. And this is, so I, I think it's, and, and it happened, I think because she was my boss, right? I think it's, I think it's a symptom of power, not necessarily gender or race in this instance. Yeah. That's, that's been my experience. I've had as much trouble with female bosses as I've had with male bosses. So Interesting. Well, and I think again, then it's just, I think it's just a general, you know, um, not understanding appropriate boundaries because it is interesting. I mean, I talk a lot about you know, being sexually harassed as a woman. Um, but I've actually had a number of men talk to me about circumstances like that, you know, mm -hmm. and they don't yep. want to talk about it because somehow it seems like it seems odd to them or, or emasculating in some way that they were sexually harassed by a woman. And I'm like, it's not a, that's, you're sexually harassed at work. You're sexually harassed at work. It doesn't matter what the dynamics are in terms of the genders. It's just, it's yep. that, it's that particular thing. So, yeah. Okay. Well, it's, that, it, it's that great line from Deadwood where uh, uh, Ian McShane says, Yankton is muscle and I don't like muscle. And it's the same thing. I might have gone for it, you know, mm -hmm. I might have gone for it. But as soon as, you know, I was moving slowly because I was considering the ramifications, you know, and that slowness was viewed as rejection. And that's when things got weird. So, okay. and then, and then as soon as I, things got weird, you know, then I'm like, oh, whoa, you know, I'm not going to be muscled into this. And then it just went downhill from there. But fortunately, like Mae West said, uh, 
See what she say. Keep a diary because someday it may keep you. Keeping all that stuff in the email was pretty useful. Yeah, no doubt. Do you have a fire me? I do. And this trades on one of the old uh, fire me's because it's a cute. At first I was like, I was like, you know, I shouldn't talk about this because this is insider information that, you know, but then I was like, yeah, I'm just the journalistic thing is true. If you don't want me to talk about it, don't talk to, to me about it. I'm a vampire. You should know to say off the record. So it's not, okay, so if you've been reading the paper I, or any sort of news source, you might be aware of the fact that somebody we've talked about, two people that we've talked about on Fire Me, their names are in the, in the press a lot recently for reasons that are shocking. And I'm speaking here very specifically of Elon Musk, which is maybe not so shocking, and Mark Zuckerberg. They are talking about having a cage match a mixed martial arts match, a fight. Um, okay, this is just talk, except three days a week, Mark Zuckerberg is training with Dave Camarillo at Guerrilla Jiu-Jitsu, uh, Mickey Masamuchi, top flight jiu-jitsu guys, and is fairly serious about it. Enough so that he's bent Meta's spokesperson to make claims about whether or not he won or how he won his last jiu-jitsu competition. Elon Musk has done some traditional martial art, what they call it, TMA, karate, or, or, you know, Kempo, some such thing. And he has now been John uh, John Bones Jones, who is the heavy, UFC heavyweight champion, is said, I will coach you. This thing has got a lot of energy behind it and a lot of steam. People are already taking odds. The CEO of the Ultimate Fighting Championship is calling it a billion-dollar fight. That's what Musk said he would have to, it would have to earn before he doesn't care about winning or losing or the money, but he wants the bragging rights of it being a million-dollar fight. It's a degree to the sickness of mixed martial arts as a sporting endeavor that this is the biggest thing on the block. But um, at one point, even four days ago, somebody goes, it's not happening. It is just chatter. Four days hence, with the, the players that are involved, it seems very likely to be happening. And we're talking about a Vegas, you know, the Apex Arena in Las Vegas, these two dummies fighting uh, for, a, a, you know, a billion dollar stake. And uh, I have to say, sadly, I am a mark for this kind of stuff. <laughs> I am a complete mark. The guy, one of the guys I trained with, apropos of nothing, speaks up today and said, you know, Zuckerberg is why I'm here. And I like, how does that work? How did... He goes, I'm on the executive team and- uh, The executive team of of Facebook, of Meta? Yes. Which we didn't know. I mean, we've been talking shit about Zuckerberg the whole time. (laughs) The guy has kept his mouth shut. But today he says, I'm on the executive team. And somehow, um, Mark is talking at a meeting, sidebars with this guy. And and essentially, talk about needy bosses. Uh, persuades him to start training mixed martial arts with him. And the guy's not bad. And and I go, well, we're, you know, he's training with Camarillo. Are you going out to, to Camarillo's place, Gorilla Jiu? He goes, no, at his house. Zuckerberg now has at his house uh, mats, bags, gym. So he goes to his He started out training at his house and then he ultimately came and tra- tra- started training with us. Um, not only that, the guy who was a referee of the match that we talked about when we talked about this, the spokesperson for Meta being involved, <laughs> has been t- 
It's, it's just madness. Has got a call yesterday from Elon Musk. Elon Musk says, I need to train with you because you're the only one who had the front row seat on that match and can tell me what the hell happened and how I should beat him. So this kid who's like 26 years old is now being getting phone calls from Elon Musk about... Now, listen, <laughs> I'm a fight fanatic. I, I understand this all. But these are billion-dollar companies laying people off left and right and driving a hard bargain with all their employees in terms of, but we gotta, we gotta, no more work from home, and this, and this, and this is, and this is how they're spending their time. I mean, I welcome to the Bad Boss Brief. I am Stephanie Payrola. I'm Eugene S. Robinson. <laughs> hey there. I'm trying to, I'm trying to bring some flair to it. You know. Yeah, he's waving his hands for those of you listening. Um, yes. Episode thirteen is going to be about the needy boss. Have you had needy bosses? Oh, oh, can, are you guys, what are you guys, what are you guys doing? What do you, you know, my favorite needy boss story happens to do with a band that's retiring Steven Tyler of Aerosmith. And you know, when he cleaned up, right, when he wasn't, when he wasn't clean, when he was having problems with drugs and alcohol, he had lots of stuff to do. But when he cleaned up, not only did he not have anything to do, but he had nobody to do it with. So he just started hanging around the crew guys and the crew guys told me this, they go, it's kind of tough. Because he's not drinking or taking drugs, which means we can't drink or take drugs, and he's glomming on to us. We don't know what to do. So that was my perfect rock star, uh, needy boss story. They couldn't figure out how to shake. They said it was kind of sad. It was just Steven Tyler hanging around, like, what do you guys, what do you guys want to do? Well, but I think regardless of whether he's, you know, clean and sober or not, having the boss at a social event is kind of like having your dad at a party when you're, you know, 16 or 17. Like, it's just, it's not a good dynamic, your dad or your mom. Also, let me tell you, it's it's not even necessarily needy. I remember at one point when I was editor-in-chief of Code Magazine, you know, I heard some of the people on my staff talking about what they were going to do this Friday, what they were going to do Friday, and I was staying over in L.A., I was and they're talking about going, I go, oh, where are you guys going? And th- then there was this like re- weird chill across the room. And I go, oh, I get it. <laughs> I get it. Nobody wants to hang out with the bot. You know what? Forget it. Forget- I don't need you guys. And I made, a, I, made a, I made a joke about it and went along. But, you know, they wanted to be able to relax. And they didn't feel like they could do that with me there. Exactly. And it took me a second to understand that. Well, and I think too, I mean, that is a type of needy boss, a boss that is emotionally needy, that wants to spend time with people. Your Steven Tyler example, the kind of needy boss, a needy boss story that I was thinking about that's happened to me a couple of times is what I call the emotional security blanket. So the setup for this is where, you know, in my case, it was me, but this also happened to a good friend of mine. You have a particular set of competencies that is unusual, Right. Mm -hmm, For my mm -hmm. friend, she was incredibly technological savvy Mm -hmm. and I had some skills doing new business and negotiations. They're kind of oddball skills. A lot of people don't have them. And Mm -hmm. so I've had more than one boss kind of look at me as the emotional security blanket. Like if, which makes sense at first, it's like, oh, okay, we have to negotiate something. Let's bring Stephanie. Then it was, we might have to negotiate something. Let's bring Stephanie. Then it was, let's bring Stephanie. And I'd be like, this has nothing to do with my job at all. But this sense of like, but I'm going to do better if you're in the room. 
Or this is like baseball players where, like, if the guy scores a home run and he's wearing a certain set of underwear, that's it. He will never wear any other underwear. So that's you, – you have become the, the talisman. Well, and the thing is, it's like I think that's an appropriate example because in the circumstances where this happened, neither one of those bosses actually treated me well. I really was just like the rabbit's foot. It wasn't like, I value your skill set. I want you around. I want you part of the inner circle. That would have been okay. It was really like, I'm, I'm the lucky charm and I want you to come. And I remember one time, one of these bosses who I didn't like got, we were, I was working for an advertising agency and we got something that just smelled scam as soon as I heard about it. It was, we are, uh, it was a large brand that was well known, which I won't name. Uh, we're having events for potential agencies in Milan. We need you to be here on Thursday. This was on Monday. And we're going to see you at, you know, like four o'clock in the afternoon. And I said to the button boss, like, you have to go because, you know, we might have to negotiate. And I'm like, okay, first of all, there's no universe in which this is a legitimate thing. They're not paying to fly us over there. We're only staying for like one day. And, you know, there's no agreement. We don't know these people. This just came in on an email. I'm like, this just smells like scam. And he got mm-hmm. so angry with me that I wouldn't, because I just flat out refused. I'm like, I, and he wanted, he's like, well, well, we'll save money by not staying in Milan. We'll fly in, do the meeting, and then turn around and fly back. And I'm, yeah. I'm like, no, no. And so I said, no. And he got so angry. And I had a guy that worked for me who was more than happy to go to Milan for you right. know lunch. Uh, but, uh. you know, and I think that's the thing. It's like, these were not leaders that were treating me with some sort of respect. It was just, you have to go wherever it is that I want to go. Okay. But you got to get to the punchline. Did they close the deal? Of course not. There was no deal. They flew to Milan. I think the people blew them off or it was some like, it was just all very weird and not, yeah, it was, and it, you know, on the face of it. But I think that's the thing is that, you know, if, if I had been a secret weapon, that would have been okay with me. Right. That would have been all right. But this idea of like, I, you have to be in the room with me. Otherwise I feel insecure. Even if you have no role in the room, not particularly helpful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So then how long did you last at this company? I think I was only there probably another four or five months. I mean, it was right. that was sort of the beginning of the end of yeah. recognizing that like, yeah, there's not really I'm I'm nothing more than a rabbit's foot. You know, it it was weird. I mean, it's on my mind, especially since I just wrote about my boss before last, Carlos Watson at Ozzy. Since he's now done, uh, he's tried to ride the wave of racial equity, and he's done a website called "Too Too Black for Business." Since he believes that's his way to to get out of his legal conundrums, which include being arrested by the Justice Department. But in any case, he at one point, it, his father and his mother were very much part of the early launch, and they had had come to view me as a second son to a certain degree. And at one point, the father said to me. You, you know, sort of voce took me aside and said, you know, I told Carlos, as long as Eugene is there, everything is okay. And I was like, I, I kind of, it, it stuck with me forever. Up until now, I've never remembered, never repeated it. I never heard him say it again to anybody else, but there was this idea of, of me as talisman and same thing. I was with a boss who treated me really poorly, but I could see that this was part of, of some sort of calculation that, that me being there was not only assigned to, to, the staff, yeah, you know, who might have thought, well, if Eugene could take it, we could take it. 
Um, and as well as, I, you know, I think it create, helped create the illusion that we were some sort of equitable work. I don't know. I don't know. I wasn't sure the reason, but I wasn't happy with the role. Well, and I think, I mean, having been there and been in that newsroom and seen you there, it could have been that you were the adult in the room and you were also the journalist in the room. I mean, I'm not talking yeah, about right. other people that you work with. There were other good journalists. Yeah. But as far as like Carlos and Samir, yeah. they, you know, like that yeah, they didn't right. have the journalism chops. And and you know what? I actually think that's interesting because I really liked your Substack this week. And mm -hmm. I I was hoping we'd get to this because I do, and I, and I do think that Carlos was a particular kind of needy, mm -hmm. right? And yep. and a particular kind of needing to be in charge, needing to be um, have things go a certain way, and never brooking any sort of negotiation. Like that's what's interesting. Like you think of needy, right? And you think mm -hmm. of somebody who maybe is weaker, who you know isn't living into their strength. But a lot of times, needy people are just they're still tyrants. Right? Yeah, I, I, I mean, this is what I said. You asked me if I had stories. I go, no, no, no. I, I have uncomfortable stories. And I remember my boss was from Condé Nast, and I'm not going to identify the publication. It's not important because, you know, it, it would be easy to figure out who this person was. And he said, Eugene, could you come into my office uh, for a few minutes? Sure. Big corner office, close the door. Um, it was an interesting company. The, all the, the, the executive staffers had offices that had solid steel core doors because the owner was paranoid about disgruntled employees coming back and shooting them. So this was actually, I wow. almost, I realized this when I almost caught my finger in the door and go, what the hell, what kind of door is this? In any case, she calls me into her office and says, I've been out for a few days. And I was like, yeah. And I thought the next thing that was going to happen was I was going to be told about something that we need to pick up, something that had been dropped, a ball, you know, something we had to cover, or some, you know, vault ahead. And she goes, do you know where I was? And now I'm starting to get my spider senses tingling, like I shouldn't be there. And I go, I don't know. I don't like, I don't like guessing games. And she said, I, I, I had a boob job. I'm like, okay, that's great. I, I gotta go, gotta go. And she goes, here, feel. And she pulls her shirt up, grabs my hand and puts it on her breast. And oh I'm my like, God. you know, and you might expect that like, you know, I'm a, how old was I? I was in my thirties and that I might go, Oh, ah, diggity dog. But I was horrified. I just kind of stood there with my hand and I go, yeah, okay. That's great. I got to get back to my desk. Um, and that was, I mean, neediness takes all, all kinds of stress. I didn't see any percentage in that play. I just didn't see any that working out for me in any way at all. So. Oh my God. Well, and again, you know, and that's the thing with the needy boss that keeps coming up is this idea of a boundary free zone. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, and I have yeah. certainly, I have had, I had one boss who just, you know, he, he pretended like he acted like I was his therapist. Right. Yeah. And it was just like, you know, no. And he would come and tell me about his relationship problems. Yeah. And he would talk about like, you know, why he was interested in this particular person or not this particular person. And it was just like, you know, when you have to say to your boss, like, well, you know, like I, I, it's like, I don't I don't want to know that you're dating one woman and is sleeping with another one. Like I, this is not information that yeah. is in any way germane to our work. But it was yeah. again, it was that sense of. You know, I like I, presumably he needed a friend, he needed a confidant, he needed a woman who he had no chance of having sex with. <laughs> and so, yeah, you know, yeah, I yeah. was in some sort of, you know, odd land. 
But I think I think that's the challenge is when you end up with these bosses who don't observe obvious norms, right? And so, yeah. what do you what do you do with them? And it and I think that the uh, one of the ideas is if you are a boss and you recognize any of this in yourself, like mm-hmm. you know, th- I think there's a couple of things. Like one, if you feel slightly uncomfortable that as a leader, you might be looking to the people that work for you for social connection, emotional connection, advice, friendship, socializing. You know, if you feel uncomfortable about it, you should probably explore that, not with people that work for you. If you are a boss and you wonder if you have this kind of work security blanket person that I was describing... I think the thing to look at is, you know, there's nothing wrong with having someone that you rely on because they have a skill set that you don't have, or mm-hmm. they're particularly adept in something that is very useful to your work. Don't mm-hmm. treat them like a lucky charm. Treat them like a valued employee, right? Make sure that they're paid really well. Make sure that they're involved, not just in come and sit next to me at the meeting, but also help me develop our plan for the next five years. Let's get in front of, you know, like, let me bring you in front of senior leadership or executive leadership or ownership, right? So treat that person with value as an individual who has skills and don't just put them into the, you know, kind of like lucky charm category. And then I think, so, it's, so, yeah, go ahead. No. So that I, I was going to, uh, my, my question is, and it's sort of a philosophical one is that can this needy person be a good boss? I mean, I think that they can, and I think it depends on the ways in which their neediness is expressing itself. Mm-hmm, right. Mm-hmm. So if, and I think anyone that has a level of self-awareness um, and that can, can, see what needs to be changed in them and then change it can be a good boss, right? I think anybody can. I think that for pe- a lot of the kind of neediness that we're talking about, the garden variety neediness, people just need to, le- leaders just need to like be very strict with themselves. Like I am going to form more connections outside of work. You can see why if people are working all the time, you can see why they don't have friends outside of work. That is not your employee's responsibility, right? You need to make sure that you are, you know, spend time with family, reconnect with old friends, start a, you know, join a bowling league, right? But that is your responsibility. So I think people can get past it, but I think it's like anything else, you know, that generally the people who have the self-awareness to understand that they have a problem and seek help for it are not the ones we're talking about. Right. That I'm, I think the ones that are challenging are where it's like, no, we're all like a big family. They, there are my friends. They love getting together with me and doing something. Yeah. Also. Yeah. And, and I mean, what we're doing here is a yeoman's work here because I think being aware of it is, is a big deal. I had a boss who used me as, as his avenue to virility. Right. They're, like there's no other circumstance under which this guy, uh, the two of us are, are fellow travelers in any regard, except for now I work for him. And so um, his constant and continual attempts to bro down with me were actually better than what everybody else got, which was constant and continual rage. I've spoken spoken about him before where he was forced into into counseling by the board and then he would get up and like look out windows and stuff, even though people still knew he was steamed. But with me, he was always unfailingly nice to me. I never saw that side of him, but I realized I was being used in another way. He was talking about his, the woman he divorced, the woman he got with after the divorce, the changes that she put him through. And fundamentally, 
my role at that at that job was like black sidekick. <laughs> All right. Like anytime you want to show a shorthand of a white character in a movie that he's hip, you give him a black friend. And I was I was that friend. And honest to God, I have to say, in this instance, I didn't mind. One, because he was a good boss, which is what prompted my previous question. And then and, and two, um, uh, well, I guess he was a good boss and he didn't scream at me. So I, I, I clearly saw I could be treated like those folks over there, which wasn't great, or I could be where I am right now, which is like, she said, what? Whoa, bro. <laughs> I mean, this... And we were, I mean, I think he was five years older than me. So it wasn't like we were, but it was how he perceived me. So um, I, I sort of felt bad when I could see what he was doing to other people. But I was like, hey, you know, every person for themselves. <laughs> I, I mean, I don't know how I rationalized it, but it wasn't a healthy work environment, though it was healthy for me. Well, and I think that comes to the the question, too, of what if you are the person who works for a needy boss? Right. And I think that there are, I think that, that you talk about one path. I think there's two paths, right? One path is just go with it. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, there can be advantages to it. In your case, you were being, you know, you were treated better than the people who weren't in that situation. You know, for me, I certainly used my competence and the boss's sense of wanting me nearby to negotiate for more money, negotiate for better opportunities. Um, you know, it, it can be okay I do think that it is useful because part of the problem is if you're the lucky, you know, rabbit's foot and then they start losing, then you lose all that, you know, kind of uh, captured glory. And so what mm -hmm. I would try to do as an employee was to say, you know, this is a team effort. You know, yes, yes we won this new business yeah. pitch, but it was the team that won. It was the team mm -hmm. that won. And, you mm -hmm. know, to keep reiterate that because one, it's true, right? Your mm -hmm. team is not going to thank you for taking all the glory on yourself. Um, mm -hmm. But it also can maybe insulate you a little bit if things don't go well, because then they look at you, you know, it's like, you're not magic anymore. Let's, you know, let's throw that out. Right. Yeah, and so I yeah. think that's, I think that's one thing. I think another thing to watch out for is I've had that where I have done really hard work on a new business pitch, one in particular, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. there's been, you know, a white guy who swooped in and took all the credit and all the money. Uh, right. And so that's another thing is, you know, if you are in that kind of, you know, magical place, okay, yeah. great, but make sure to give credit where credit is due. In my case, I really, it was small agency. I really was the one with that one particular individual skill set. Um, but I think, but I think it really boils down. If you work for a needy boss, be really careful about boundaries, mm -hmm. right? Because the other road, which I think I have done and sometimes is really necessary is to, to set a boundary and to say, no, I'm not going to fill in the blank, whatever it is, you know, I'm not going to go and do a personal thing outside of work. I'm not going to pick up your dry cleaning. I'm not going to do whatever it is that you're asking me to do. But again, there's certain risks and sometimes we can't always do that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I, I, I've never been asked to do <laughs> to do anything like be, <laughs> any, any menial work for, for any boss. Uh, but, you know, at the same time, I was, um, uh, this this might amuse you. I um, had a Zoom meeting at a at a company, and they started at some point. They I guess they thought it would be team building to sing to the to the tune of "I Love Rock and Roll." I love filling the, the name of the company, and um, I took the call. I just finished training jujitsu, so I took the call from uh, from the academy where I trained jujitsu. Um, and you know, people in the meeting can see my face on the screen. Everybody in the room just sees my face. 
and I'm nodding my head and I'm singing, smiling. I love filling the name of the company. And, I, and then I'm watching this room of faces grow grimmer and grimmer. Not the ones in the Zoom meeting, the ones behind the camera. And I get off the call and they go, that was the most disgusting. Out of all the disgusting things you've done, that is the most disgusting. And I go, what would you suggest I have done? And they said, turn your camera off or get out of the meeting. I go, ah, then I'm not a team player. Well, okay, then sit and then bob your head along. And then what's the difference? I might as well sing if I'm going to bob my head along. Okay, then just sit and watch and do nothing. Then I'm not a team player. Hey, look, if they said, I'm going to give you this much money to sing, I love filling the name of the company, would you take it? And they're like, no, I wouldn't. I go, ah, you're wrong about that. There's a certain amount of playing along that makes sense with a needy boss, I think. It's a slippery slope. Playing along makes makes a bit of sense, but you got to know it's not going to stop there. But once it starts, you should also know, like any other film noir piece, at the end, everybody's doomed because this slope is going to lead to weird places. And unless a person gets a correction from somewhere else, you're you're all in trouble. So. Well, and do you think it's gendered? Because I've always had this idea that, you know, I, I mean, I've seen in the workplace that white men look to women to take care of their emotional needs. And it's automatic. Mm. It's just reflexive. Like, I feel bad, make me feel better. I mean, these, it's no accident that these were all white men that did this. I've never had a woman <sighs> do this to me. I've never had a black man do this to me. And so I think I've always thought that it's part of that emotional overfunctioning that these guys get used to people making them feel better. And so why shouldn't I be the security blanket? But do you think it's gendered? Yeah, I, I listen. I in one of the major corporations that I worked in the early days of you know, email, um, I had a boss who gave me a, an employee award uh, at the in, like in the middle of June, and then uh, fired me by the time July had come because I wasn't receptive to her advances. Mm. Um, and of course, this was all saved in email. So when I challenged it and pushed across to the company's attorneys these emails that I had printed out, they realized the exposure and they just gave me a healthy severance back. And they go, what do you want? I go, my job. They go, that's not going to happen. You know, we're not going to, we've got to circle the wagons. How much money do you want? So I give me a year's salary and they did it and then fired, fired her. Um, but this started uh, with me just being my normal empathetic self. She's talking about her husband and about, you know, he's having problems with his business. And I'm listening. I'm, Cause it's, I mean, it was curious. He owned bunches of laundromats, which I used to think was a jive business, but he was making tons of money, but he was always away. I mean, as an older man now, I can understand that I was in trouble. As soon as she started talking about the husband, I was mm -hmm. in trouble. Right. But, you know, that he, he's away a lot and I'm just listening. But it was, you know, we have these environments where we're supposed to be professional, but all of a sudden, emotionally, things are happening that are outside the purview of professionalism. And this is so I, I think it's and and it happened, I think, because she was my boss. Right. I think it's I think it's a symptom of power, not necessarily gender or race in this instance. Yeah, that's that's been my experience. I've had as much trouble with female bosses as I've had with male bosses. So interesting. Well, and I think, again, then it's just I think it's just a general, you know, um, not understanding appropriate boundaries, because it is interesting. I mean, I talk a lot about, you know, being sexually harassed as a woman, um, but I've actually had a number of men talk to me about circumstances like that, you know, mm -hmm. and they don't yep. want to talk about it because somehow it seems like it seems odd to them or, or emasculating in some way that they were sexually harassed by a woman. And I'm like, it's not a, that's, you're sexually harassed at work. You're sexually harassed at work. It doesn't matter what the dynamics are in terms of the genders. It's just, it's yep. that 
it's that particular thing. So yeah, okay. Well, it's, a, it's a great line from Deadwood where uh, uh, Ian McShane says, "Yanked in his muscle," and I don't like muscle. And it's the same thing. I might have gone for it, you know. Mm-hmm. I might have gone for it, but as soon as you know, I was moving slowly because I was considering the ramifications, you know, and that slowness was viewed as rejection. And that's when things got weird. So, right. and then, and then as soon as I, things got weird, you know, then I'm like, Oh, whoa, you know, I'm not going to be muscled into this. And then it just went downhill from there. But fortunately, like Mae West said, uh, say what she say, keep a diary. Cause someday it may keep you keeping all yeah. that stuff. in the email was pretty useful. Yeah, no doubt. So, do you have a fire me? I do. And this trades on one of the old, uh, fire me's because it's a cute. At first, I was like, I was like, you know, I shouldn't talk about this because this is insider information that, you know. But then I was like, yeah, I'm the journalistic thing is true. If you don't want me to talk about it, don't talk to, to me about it. I'm a vampire. You should know to say off the record. So it's not okay. So if you've been reading the paper, I or any sort of news source, you might be aware of the fact that somebody we've talked about two people that we've talked about on fire me their names are in the in the press a lot recently for reasons that are shocking and i'm speaking here very specifically of elon musk which is maybe not so shocking and mark zuckerberg they are talking about having a cage match a mixed martial arts match a fight um okay this is just talk except 3 days a week Mark Zuckerberg is training with Dave Camarillo at Guerrilla Jiu-Jitsu, uh, Mickey Masamuchi, top flight jiu-jitsu guys, and is fairly serious about it. Enough so that he's bent Meta's spokesperson to make claims about whether or not he won or how he won his last jiu-jitsu competition. Elon Musk has done some traditional martial art, what they call it, TMA, karate, or, or you know, Kempo, some such thing. And he has now been... John uh, John Bones Jones, who is the heavy, UFC heavyweight champion, is said, I will coach you. This thing has got a lot of energy behind it and a lot of steam. People are already taking odds. The CEO of the Ultimate Fighting Championship is calling it a billion-dollar fight. That's what Musk said he would have to, they would have to earn before. He doesn't care about winning or losing or the money, but he wants the bragging rights of it being a million-dollar fight. It's a degree to the sickness of mixed martial arts as a sporting endeavor, that this is the biggest thing on the block. But um, at one point, even four days ago, somebody goes, it's not happening. It is just chatter. Four days hence, with the the players that are involved, it seems very likely to be happening. We're talking about a Vegas, the Apex Arena in Las Vegas, these two dummies fighting uh, for a a billion-dollar stake. And uh, I have to say, sadly, I am a mark for this kind of stuff. <laughs> I am a complete mark. The guy, one of the guys I train with, apropos of nothing, speaks up today and said, you know, Zuckerberg is why I'm here. And I like, how does that work? How did he goes, I'm on the executive team. And uh, the executive it, team of, of Facebook, of Meta? Yes. Okay. Which we didn't know. I mean, we've been talking shit about Zuckerberg the whole time. The guy has kept his mouth shut, but today he says I'm on the executive team, and somehow um, Mark is talking at a meeting, sidebars with this guy, 
and 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 essentially talk about needy bosses uh persuades him to start training mixed martial arts with him and the guy's not bad and and i go well where you know he's training with camarillo are you going out to to camarillo's place gorilla he goes no at his house zuckerberg now has at his house mats bags gym so he goes to his he started out training at his house and then me ultimately came and trained started training with us um not only that, the, the guy who was a referee of the match that we talked about when we talked about this, the spokesperson for Meta being involved, ha, has been, t- it's, it's just madness, has got a call yesterday from Elon Musk. Elon Musk says, I need to train with you because you're the only one who had the front row seat on that match and can tell me what the hell happened and how I should beat him. So this kid who's like 26 years old is now being getting phone calls from Elon Musk about... Now, listen, <laughs> I'm a fight fanatic. I, I understand this all, but these are billion-dollar companies laying people off left and right and driving a hard bargain with all their employees in terms of, but we got you got to no more work from home, and this, and, this, and, this is, and this is how they're spending their time. I mean, I, I, I'm really torn. As a worker, I am appalled. You know, as a fight fan, I'm excited. But, I mean, this is just when you think, like, everything, you know, they're taking care of everything. Like, Leonard Part 6, I'm looking at the script. I'm going, this is a terrible script. And everybody goes, no, no, the guy who did Fame is behind it. The Pink Floyd, The Wall, don't worry. It's going to be great. And this is the kind of thing where I'm like, they're laying off people left and right. They're demanding people who don't work. They're killing work from home. This guy is, you know, union busting. And then they go, yeah, but 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 they're going to have a cage fight. I'm like, okay. Yeah, but, but, I think, <laughs> so, but here's the thing that's interesting to me, because I am not a fight fan, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, um, but I, I feel like I want to watch it because I think they're going to make fools of themselves. And I think what's interesting to me is you talked earlier about a boss wanting you around to borrow your virility. That's exactly what this is. These guys are trying to, I mean, don't you think? These guys are trying to appear macho in a world where really the only way that anyone is going to take them seriously is like a force of masculinity is, well, I mean, I, 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 I can't imagine either one of them having the virility to which they aspire standing in a room with them, right? Well, yes. However, you're 50% right. In this instance, I asked a guy, Straight up, and this is, I was sitting on his chest when I was asking him. So I'm sure he, I think he was going to lie. I go straight up, is the Zuckerberg, is he, he's 100% serious about it. 100% serious. He's training, he's bringing top flight guys, training three days a week with regularity. So he's serious about this. Well, you, and you I, go, be- I go, I go, is, is he good? He goes, he, he, he doesn't suck. So that's, there's a big difference between doesn't suck and good. But the fact of the matter is, when you say the person doesn't suck, then we're on a time continuum and eventually he'll get better. So, But I think it's, I think it's again, it's this idea of like, what are you trying to prove? You know, it's mm-hmm. like the joke about these, you know, middle-aged men who buy these fancy sports cars or yachts or whatever, like what are they trying to compensate for? And there yeah. is this compensatory, whether it's I'm going to put a rocket into space, I am going to, you know, buy Twitter, whatever the, the kind of braggart i'm you know it, it always feels like just overcompensation called, to me 
It goes back to high school. You know, Larry Ellison, I knew, knew this woman who dated Larry Ellison for a bit, and I use the word loosely. She was like a 21. He had hired her as an executive assistant. She was very comely, and I don't know how much. It, she wasn't doing the kind of assisting that, that would not get you herpes, which she got from him, uh, fundamentally. And it, it, I'm sorry, to tell you, these are, these are Silicon Valley. This is common knowledge. Uh, but she said one of the things that he really seemed to get off on and enjoy was the idea of meeting her at her apartment initially when he first said, "Hey, should we go over to your apartment?" Is he goes, do you, do, you, "Do you live in like a like a pretty bad neighborhood?" So clearly, he was fetishizing poverty to a certain degree. You know, she was twenty one; he was much older. But these are guys who they they didn't in high school. These, these were nobodies until they became somebodies, and the, the the torment for them is having lived life even for five minutes as a nobody. Right. Yeah. So um, I think it's, you know, I, I, I've often said that I don't think people get very far beyond where they were in high school. And I think this is a prime example of <laughs> of that. very. Oh, my goodness. Right? Well, with that, um, that's all we have time for. Uh, send us your questions, ideas, WTF at badbossbrief.com. Again, WTF at badbossbrief.com. And also uh, subscribe on Substack to listen to our new feature of Sub Rosa. And we answer questions that people might necessarily want to ask in the more open forum. So it's behind a paywall. Um, again, WTF at badbossbrief.com. And we'll see you next time. Thanks. Thank you for listening to the Bad Boss Brief with your hosts, Eugene S. Robinson and Stephanie Payrollo. You can check out more of their work by visiting consigliera.substack.com for Stephanie and Eugene S. Robinson.substack.com for Eugene. You can also find Eugene at Mr. Sleep 3, that's the number 3, on Instagram. Send us your questions or comments to WTF at BadBossBrief.com and be sure to join us right here on your favorite podcast platform for more insights every other week. Until next time, Don't be an asshole at work. Thank you.